Welcome to the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, brought to you by Source by Sound Agriculture. I'm McCain Vogel, Assistant Editor of No-Till Farmer. In this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators Podcast, listen back to a presentation on feeding the world with no-till by Howard G. Buffett from a previous national no-tillage conference. A champion of no-till, Buffett manages a 1,500-acre family farm in central Illinois and operates a 400-acre farm in Nebraska. He also oversees multiple research farms in Arizona, Illinois, and Nebraska, totaling 9,500 acres. In part one of this two-part podcast, listen to Buffett talk about the important obligations that farmers have to feed our world, plus hear some of Buffett's stories from traveling to over 150 different countries in his lifetime. And stay tuned for part two coming in the first week of March. It's, it's an honor to be here. I mean, this is a, a group of men and women that uh, in their own way have served this country. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how important you are in the, in the global scene tonight. Um, but it's also pretty amazing, I think, that uh, even as many more people here are much more educated than I am on no-till and a lot of the subjects they get covered. But still, I think most of us come here and we walk away and we've learned something. And that's a that's a, a pretty great thing. Um, now, I, I do want to tell you, I, I learned one thing from my dad a long time ago. He used to always tell me when he gets done speaking, he's usually offended almost everybody in the room. I counted nine sponsors when he listed them that I'll probably offend tonight, so get ready. <laughs> Um, and I think it's very unfair for you to put Dan Towery up here because I see there's a salad next to him with tomatoes in it, and he can hit me from here. So, Dan, yeah, I see that. I do. Mushrooms and other stuff. So, um, well, somebody earlier asked me uh, what I did as an ambassador uh, for the World Food Program, and I get asked that once in a while, but I never have a good answer. But I, I kind of heard my son, who's here tonight, uh, he... He was explaining it to somebody, so I thought I'd use his example or a little story to tell you what an ambassador does. So the, the story goes like this. There's a gentleman who wanted to buy a parrot. So he goes down to this reputable pet shop, and he goes in, he finds a salesperson and tells him what he wants to do, and that salesperson takes him back to the back of the shop where the parrots are and starts explaining all these different parrots. And this guy says, no, you know, I see there's three over here. And the salesperson tries to talk him out of those three, and he says, no, 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 no. I, I, I want to know about those three. So he says, well, they're kind of expensive. He says, well, what's the first one cost? And he says, well, that, that parrot's $2,500. He says, well, that is expensive. What do you get for a $2,500 parrot? He says, well, he farms using no-till. He analyzes genetically modified enzymes, and it trades derivatives. And he's like, wow, that's, that's a pretty impressive parrot. So he says, I see there's another one next to him. He says, yeah, yeah, let's just not even go there. And the guy says, I want to know what that parrot does. He says, well, that parrot, he does everything the first parrot does, plus it advises farm credit services. It reads No-Till magazine, has produced a thesis on sustainable agriculture, has a master's in soil science from the University of Nebraska. And the guy says, wow, that's an amazing parrot. How much does it cost? The guy says, $5,000. He says, wow, that's a lot of money for a parrot. What about the third one? He says, no, I'm not, you know what? I'll just tell you right now, that pair costs $25,000. He's out of your league. He says, well, wait, what's he do? And he says, uh, well, 
scratches his head for a little bit, and he says, uh, I've never seen this parrot do anything, but the other two parrots call him Mr. Ambassador. <laughs> so that's my hardworking job I have. Um, you know, tonight I'm going to talk about a, a few things that, that might not be normal conversation, uh, certainly not around the round tables that we have here or at the conference in general. But there's also a few subjects I'm going to talk about that some of you here are experts on, which means I'll get myself in trouble. And I hope I can provide a little broader context of the role that U.S. agriculture plays on a global scale and how important your contribution is to the world, both in helping to feed people and also setting an example of how important it is to be innovative, take risks, and challenge old assumptions, because that's what almost everyone in this room has done, some of you for 30 or 40 years. To do that, I want to discuss three areas. I want to talk about the changing landscape of U.S. agriculture, our role in addressing global food security, and then finally, our obligation to meet the immediate needs of hungry people. First, I want to identify just a few things we can probably agree on to set kind of the stage of, of where I want to go. World population continues to increase. Global protein demand is rising. World farmers are going to need to produce more, probably most of it from higher yields. I know my Syngenta guys like that. Um, number of hungry people in the world continues to increase. Food security in poor nations is definitely more volatile today than it was even five years ago. And technology is going to contribute to some of those solutions. And technology is one I'm going to get into a little deeper in a minute because it's probably one that I think ought to be uh, the, the best understood and probably at times the most debated. We also know, and, and, and you're going to know most of these, but I, I think it's important to repeat a few of them uh, to point out why the role you play is important. But we know U.S. farmers grow five times as much corn as they did in 1930 on 20% of the land. When you think about that, five times on 20% of the land, I, you don't have it tonight, you don't want it because this book weighs nine and a half pounds. I wrote a whole book about that. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty impressive thing when you think about what we've done in agriculture since the early 1900s. Yields between the Civil War and the Dust Bowl, they stayed stagnant at about 24 bushels an acre through that entire time. And today, uh, since that time, we're up to about 163 bushels an acre as an average. 20 years, productivity in the United States increased 40% for corn and 30% for soybeans. Over the past 20 years, minimum tillage has reduced soil erosion by about half and saved probably about almost 500 million gallons of diesel fuel. And farmers grow, and this is, this is also quite a statistic, farmers grow 70% more corn per pound of fertilizer than they did in the 1970s. Now, those are amazing statistics. Somehow we don't tell our story very well because most people don't know many of those statistics. And we're usually on the other end of, of the arguments. But U.S. farmers contribute significantly to meeting both the demands of a more affluent world and also feeding hungry people. You know, technology, we've become more reliant on technology. Technology has become more important, and that's including, you know, genetically modified crops. So I think when I look at my operation, I think about what are the things that as a farmer, what do I need to think about and consider when I watch the technology develop and things change as fast as they are? I think one, I think how does it affect our future choices? And I think that's a big one and an important one. Does it contribute to best practices? How does it reshape the dynamics of our business? And finally, will it contribute to profitability? 
because that's not one that's always as easy to identify. The answers today look quite different than a few decades ago, especially in the seed business, both because technology developments have been driven by private companies rather than public institutions, and changes have developed very rapidly. So these four questions become more important. One large reason is that seed technology developed by private companies obviously is driven for the benefit of shareholders, where public investments designed to benefit exactly what it says, the public. So the flip side of that, of course, is that private companies only succeed if they provide the products their customers want or, or, or ask for. There's exceptions to this, which are those businesses that are regulated and those that are consolidated and really create concentration. And I, I personally believe the concentration that we've seen in different parts of our industry could be one of the biggest threats that we face for our own businesses. But the first question about choice has always been important to farmers, but it may be more relevant today. What are some of the choices we have? Well, all of you guys know these, but I'm going to go through them real quickly. You know, and first I have to give you this disclaimer that my wife has always said, she's never shy about this either. That's kind of hurts my feelings sometimes, but she always says I'm low tech and high maintenance. <laughs> and that's kind of true, unfortunately. But I have learned a few things. And um, the other place I run into trouble is, you know, I get in this spring, Howie comes back to help me plant, and, and uh, I'm going to admit something that also is a little embarrassing, but I don't use a computer. I don't do my own email. Um, it's job security for a couple of people that are here with me. But, um, and uh, so they, they, every time I start trying to learn how to do anything, they just take it away from me. Uh, I know how to turn a computer on and off, and I know how to go look for my images. That I, When I came back from my last trip, I can kind of hit one icon and find them, and that's about the extent of my knowledge. So I get in the tractor, and I'm trying to set up my mapping because I've split my planter. Didn't have any Syngenta seed, but I had some Pioneer and DeKalb. And, and uh, anyway, I split the planter. I'm getting all ready so I can map everything. And, and I was just sitting there shaking his head. He has this disgusted look on his face. I, what? I said, this is cool stuff. He says, Dad, you know, you always tell everybody you can't use a computer and you can't learn. I said, you know, you're up here. You're pushing all the buttons. You're programming everything. You know, you're pathetic. So you know you've reached a new high when your son thinks that you're pathetic. But anyway, um, mapping, I mean, an amazing thing. I think of the field comparisons we can do today that we couldn't do before. I mean, it, 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 it's a great tool. We'll come back to the episode in a moment, but first I'd like to thank our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for supporting today's podcast. Source by Sound Agriculture unlocks more of the nitrogen and phosphorus in your fields so you can rely less on expensive fertilizer. This foliar application has a low use rate and you can mix it right into your tank. Check out Source. It's like caffeine for microbes. Learn more at sound.ag. Now, let's get back to the conversation. Guidance systems. I got to tell you this story too. I mean, what, four or five years ago when guidance systems kind of started coming out, auto steer, whatever, you know, not too, this is about then. You know, I thought, what the heck do I want one of these for? I mean, it makes me obsolete. I said, I'm going to get out, I'm going to drive that tractor. That's what I do, you know? So it's just like, that's bullshit. So, sorry, Frank. So uh, two years ago, uh, I got a new farm that we're going to go, 120 acres. We're going to go out in February, and we're going to do a new perimeter map. Lucas Veal comes down from Sloan Implement, get in the tractor, we're doing the perimeter, and we get to this corner. 
And he says, uh, Howard, do you think that line's pretty straight south? I said, well, it should be. And uh, since then, I found that many lines are not straight anything. But uh, So as I planted corn into my neighbor's field, thinking my 180 degrees is right, you know, who is this idiot? And uh, I did. I had to go to apologize to one of my neighbors. I got a little over, you know. And uh, so anyway, he's, over, he's in the buddy seat with his little GS2 screen and my screen, and he's like pushing numbers and hit that resume button, take your hands off steering wheel, keep them off steering wheel, let the clutch out. Okay. I can't tell you if it was 20 feet or 30 feet, but I put the clutch in. I said, okay, what's all this stuff cost? <laughs> I mean, it was like, I, I said to him right there in the spot, I said, you know what? A guidance system to a farmer is like cocaine to a drug addict. I said, this is unbelievable. And there I was hooked. And you know, how can you go back? I mean, you can't. But anyway, Rogue Command Clutches or a new planner. I mean, how amazing is it that you can have this planner? I'm only a little guy with a 16 row. I know a lot of you guys are 24 row planners. But you know, that's a pretty amazing, and, 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 it, and it, there's value in this. You know, that's the neat thing about it in the end is uh, you're not picking silage on the end rows and you're not, uh, you're buying a few less bags of corn that uh, are a little expensive these days. So, I mean, you think about uh, what we can do today and uh, and then add on to the seed traits that that are going to be uh, coming along with with uh, drought uh, tolerance and and continue improvement and disease and, and pests. I mean, it's pretty amazing technology. So to me, I, I mean, I get excited about it, even though I'm not very technological. Uh, I, I see it as really bringing true precision agriculture, creating more efficiency and more opportunity. But the thing I think we have to be careful about is technology can't solve everything. In fact, it can fail. Three years ago when I planted BT corn, uh, I, had, I had some fields that, that, that um, suffered pretty poorly, uh, quite a lot from corn borer. And there was actually articles about how a lot of guys in Illinois had that problem. And I don't know what happened to it, but I can tell you one thing, I never got reimbursed for the technology I paid for. And I never got really, uh, I never got a good explanation about why it failed or what happened. We all know when a herbicide fails, it's pretty easy to grab your guy from the FS or effing the or wherever we do business and grab him by the collar and take him out in the pickup truck and say, you know, you guys screwed up. And, you know, we get something for that, uh, typically, at least if you whine enough, you do. Um, but it's pretty hard to know when a trait in a seed corn hasn't really worked and what you've paid for. It's going to get it's going to get challenging going forward because we've gone, what, from 70 to $300? I mean, it depends on what you're buying and everything else. But, you know, a bag of corn the last five or six years ago it was, you know, under 100 bucks, And so it's going to be a challenge to know that we're, we're getting what we pay for. And I, I think that's going to be a, something that we're going to have to all wrestle with. But this spring, talking about technology, you know, this spring I downloaded all my data as I planted. And uh, in the fall, I went to get my variety locator and make everything work. And uh, it turned out that on almost all my soybean acres, for some reason, the variety locator just wouldn't work. So, you know, obviously, as a result, I couldn't get that information. Thank goodness on some of the corn ground it did. But, you know, you lose all that data and, and, you, and you paid for the system and you invested in the system. And that's one of the reasons you invested. This fall, obviously, everybody knows this story. There's no technology that could have helped us get in or out of the field with the rainfall we had. I mean, technology is absolutely no match for Mother Nature. So don't get me wrong. I think the technology is amazing and what it's going to offer. 
But I think, you know, you have to recognize its limitations and what, what we all have to be concerned with is the assumptions that come from any kind of an attitude that technology is going to overcome all obstacles, because it won't. Uh, the human factor is still there and uh, Mother Nature is still there. So I think we have to be careful of that. We also have to make sure, this is where I'm not very good, uh, we have to make sure our investment technology has real financial benefits. I used to, in the early days, be really proud of this. Now I'm kind of hanging my head, but I go up to my John Deere dealer, Tom Sloan, and he said to me once about nine or 10 years ago, he says, Howard, you know, you should know one thing. I just think about this when I say this. He says, you're my best customer per acre. And I thought about that. I thought, don't tell my wife, please. <laughs> I mean, that's just a killer. But anyway, you know, we have to make sure... <laughs> I shouldn't say this because I don't qualify because I'm going to be a hypocrite, but we do. We need to do the best we can to make sure that our, our investment is, is a financial investment that's going to return something that we need. I want to return real quickly to a couple of points I outlined earlier about a growing population, reduced food security, and a need for farmers to produce more. How will farmers meet this challenge? Well, technology is going to be, it'll provide some of the options. But it's amazing to think about what has been discovered. You know, just recently they announced scientists had, had uh, mapped the genetic code of corn. I mean, I imagine that's going to hold some pretty exciting opportunities as well. However, it's going to take more than U.S. farmers and our production here at home to solve the challenge of food insecurity, malnutrition, and chronic hunger. When you look at the barriers of feeding people worldwide, lack of infrastructure, widespread corruption, poor distribution, limited institutional capacity, and I could go on with 20 other items, we can't do it all from here. In fact, oftentimes access you know, really prohibits our help regardless of what our intentions are. So if you look at the FAO, they estimated that it's going to take $83 billion of investment every year for the next four decades. That's $3.3 trillion to feed the projected population of $9 billion in 2050. So what are some of the answers? Well, before we know the answers for farmers in other parts of the world, especially for small, poor, resource-limited farmers, we need to be able to understand their environment, their culture, their constraints. And all those things are different, and they're very different from what we face here at home. And, and, and then there's other, there's other circumstances. I mean, one of the, to me, one of the most staggering statistics that I learned when I started getting uh, educated on hunger a while back was that 60% of all the hunger in Africa is caused by conflict. Now, that, those are difficult, complex uh, problems, not easy to solve. And I'll tell you, it's also a different part of the world. When I was negotiating with four pensioners to relocate from our property in South Africa. Well, they accepted our offer. The Land Affairs Agency from the South African government had agreed to it. We did, you know, that took like two years. We transferred money to their bank accounts. Thought we were all done. Went over there with our lawyer to meet the four guys again and kind of clean it all up. And they get in this kind of heated argument. And my lawyer looks at me, who's very respectful all the time to me. And I go, Franz, what's going on? He says, shut up. I thought, whoa, this is bad. And I thought, we had a deal. What's, you know, what's going on? Finally, he gets done, and he turns to me. He says, well, we have a problem. Well, what's the problem? Which doctor said they can't move? I mean, you know, there's no class in Harvard that tells you how you deal with a witch doctor. Or at Iowa State. 
okay? So, you know, when you're dealing in geographies and different cultures, it creates, you know, it does create unknown hurdles. Now, when we talk about precision agriculture here at home, we, you know, we've, I've already said why I think we see a really exciting world. But what, what is precision agriculture to a poor farmer? 75% of all poor people in the world are resource-limited farmers. In Africa alone, that affects 400 million people. It's a sizable number. So how can they contribute to increasing their own food security? For these farmers, access to almost everything and anything has some kind of barriers. Everything isn't always evident, but just, you know, just to highlight a few things that, to, to make you maybe focus on it. You know, you'll see immigrants migrate because they can't produce enough food on their small farm to feed their family, and a lot of them die trying to get here. Boy will be sniffing glue, trying to deaden the pain of hunger. This particular boy, if you catch it in the DVD, uh, you'll see a sewer down to his right-hand side. He lives in the sewer in Bucharest, Romania. A refugee survives because of donated food from the United States to the World Food Program. Children get their only meal during a day through a school feeding program. And it probably is for many millions of, of children, the only meal they get. Child lies dying from malnutrition when if that child was here in the United States, she would live. Person with HIV AIDS can get the antiviral medicine that they need, but they can't get the nutrition that their body requires to support the medicine. Group of people leaving a food for work project or building a new irrigation system to improve yields while receiving food for a food for work program in the middle of a two year drought. When food is so basic, you'll find it touches many aspects of life. Might not be so obvious. That's it for this episode of the No-Till Farmer Influencers and Innovators podcast. Thanks again to our sponsor, Source by Sound Agriculture, for helping to make this series possible. You can find more podcasts about no-till at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. A transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm McCain Vogel. Thanks for listening. Keep on no-tilling and have a great day.